Ephesians 4, 17 through 24. <clears throat> this I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. In the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness and to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have no soul in Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, again, we are so thankful. Our hearts are flooded with, with praise for what you have done for us through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, dear God, for this opportunity that you have given me this morning to speak to your people. I pray, dear Lord, that may you enlighten our eyes of understanding, that we may behold wonderful things from your way. Help us now as we focus on this text of Scripture. We ask that, Lord, may you speak to us. May you teach us, may you rebuke us, may you correct us and instruct us in righteousness that we as men and women of God may be thoroughly equipped and prepared for every good way. Help us, Lord, not only to be hearers of your word, but, O oh Lord, that we may be doers of it, lest we deceive ourselves. As so we pray for your blessing upon the reading of your word, we now ask that may you bless even as we hear and be instructed from the preaching of your word. It is in Jesus' name that we have asked these things. Amen. Before I speak to you, let me just uh, help us understand the book of Ephesians that was written by the Apostle Paul. And this epistle uh, is written to the believers. And what Paul does before he goes into this passage that I'm going to address this morning, he begins, first of all, by acknowledging what God has done. So you can divide basically the book of Ephesians into two parts. The, the first three chapters deals with doctrine. Paul is telling these believers what they need to know about who God is and what God has done for them in salvation. Then chapter 4 all the way up to chapter 5 now, what Paul is doing is applying the doctrine that he has been dealing with uh, in the first three chapters. And usually a lot of times when you read the Pauline epistles, this is the, 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 the structure of how he breaks down his letters. He begins with doctrine and then he ends with application. And the reason why this is, is because doctrine, right doctrine, always leads to right living. And, and, and so when there is the wrong living, it is because of the right doctrine that somebody believes. And so there's that connection between what you believe and what you practice. And so the section that we just read together is in the application section. Now, we cannot fully appreciate the passage we've read if we don't understand the doctrinal section of the Apostle Paul. So what I'm going to do before we, we jump into chapter 4, let me, let me invite you to go to chapter 1, and I'll just read verses 3 up to verse 5. 
because that's the connection I want us to see this morning. Uh, I believe it's connecting verse 3, 4, and 5 with chapter 4, 17 through 25. And so that the, the, the doctrinal part connecting to the application part. He begins this epistle, first of all, with, with a song, with a, with a hymn of praise, acknowledging what God has done. And, and basically, he's blessing God the Father. He says, blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us unto adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. And so what, what, what Paul begins, first of all, is acknowledging what God the Father has done. And as he's acknowledging what God the Father has done, he's praising God. He's praising God for the blessings that are true in these believers, the Ephesian believers. And even Paul inclusive, he says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. It is something that, was, that took place sometime in the past. It's in the past tense. He has blessed us. And these blessings, they are true because of our union in Christ. These blessings are true in Christ. He has blessed us because of, of what we are in Christ. And, and also he is saying these blessings, they are complete. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. There is no room for it. There is no other blessing that is remaining. God has blessed us completely. In Christ. Yeah. And, and the realm in which these blessings are, are in the heavenly places. And, and what a joy to know as Christians that we are supremely blessed, that we are abundantly blessed because of our union uh, with Christ. And so what he does now, beginning from verse 4, going all the way up to verse 14, he's going to begin unpacking those blessings. Now, I'll not have the whole time to do that. I have a few minutes because I have to go to chapter 4. But something interesting about these blessings is that God the Father chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Not because of any foreseen merit and foreseen merit that is so in us. He chose us for his glory. Because our salvation is not based on any good in us. Chapter 2 verse 8 is by grace of himself through faith. And that is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works, lest any man should boast. So God chose us, not because of any goodness that he foresaw in us. God chose us in love. He predestined us. Amen. Now, my, my, my point of connection I want us to see this morning is, is our adoption. When Paul is borrowing from the world of his time, uh, which is different from the time that we live with, when we talk about adoption, usually we think of little babies, we think of little children being adopted. The concept of adoption in the Roman Greco world was the, it would be a rich man who never had a son to inherit his wealth. And so usually he would go and buy a slave, a male slave, an older slave. And what he would do is that he would pay for this slave, buy his freedom. And when this slave is brought at home, he will be changed his name. He will now carry the name of this man who had bought him. If he had any debt, all his debts will be paid for, and this slave now will become the heir of this family. He will now be part of this family. 
He will have all the privileges and all the rights of the son. To the point that if the, this rich man died, this son will inherit everything that this man owed. Because it's now a rightful heir to everything this man possessed. And that's the idea that Paul is bringing in this fight. That you as a Christian, you have been adopted. In other words, that all your debts have been paid for in full. Christ has already paid all your sins, past, present, and future. And because now you are the son, you are now the child of God, you have all the rights, you have all the privileges of being a child of God. Amen. In redemption, in verse 7 says, in him we have been redeemed through his blood, through the forgiveness of sins. And God has forgiven you through the atoning work of Christ on the cross <laughs> on your behalf. And because now you've been adopted, you have a new identity. You are no longer that slave you used to be. You are no longer that person you used to be. You have now a new identity. You have now a new position in Christ. And so now, connecting that with chapter 4, verse 7, that's the way I want us to see that connection. It begins with the passage, therefore. Now, whenever you find this passage, whenever you find the word therefore, especially the Pauline epistles, he's referring back to what he said previously. Is connecting what he said, what is now true of you, what God has done for you, and now you have a new position in Christ, you have a new identity in Christ, who you are now positionally, leave that out practically. In other words, you have to connect who you are positionally before God, leave that out now. And so this morning, that's why I want to entitle my message, Living Out Your Identity in Christ. Because you have been adopted, you are now the child of God, all your sins have been forgiven, you are now his son, you have all the privileges of a son, but now live in such a way that you reflect your identity to the people around you. That's a basically what Paul is now beginning to do in chapter 4, verse 17 through 24. I say then, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. Don't live your life in such a way and that contradicts whom you have become. You are now the son. You are now God's child. Live like one. And what I'm going to do in the next few minutes is now, Paul is going, you know, how, maybe the question you may have is, how can I live out my identity in Christ? Looking at the new status that I have, looking at the new identity that I have, how can I therefore live out my new identity? There are four things that I want us to observe from this passage. Number one, if we are going to live out our identity in Christ, we need to separate ourselves from our old ways of life. We see that in verse 17 and 19. Living out your identity in Christ requires you to separate yourselves, or separate ourselves in this case, from our old ways of life. He said these words, 17 through 19. This I said, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. Being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work out uncleanness with greediness. Now, something interesting, that there are three things I want us just to observe from this passage. 
separating ourselves from the old ways of life. Paul begins with this statement, you should no longer walk. In other words, there was a time you lived life like this. There was a time you, you, you walked. You, the word walk in the New Testament has the idea of a lifestyle. It has the idea of, of conduct. Don't conduct your life as you used to be when you were not yet a Christian. In other words, when you become a child of God, there, there has to be a change. There has to be a transformation. Because now God, through his spirit, has changed you from the inside out. Right? And so there should be progressive sanctification as, as God begins to work in your heart to become more, as you're growing as a Christian, you begin to become more like Christ. And so separating yourselves from the old ways of life is the first thing or the first step that the Paul is, Paul is talking about if you're going to live out your identity in Christ. Now what Paul is going to do is going to give us three reasons why you should separate yourself from the old ways of life. Three reasons why you should not live like the Gentiles live. And the first reason is in verse 17. It says, don't live like the Gentiles as you used to when you were still an unbeliever. Why should I, don't, why should I do that? Because Gentiles live in the futility of their minds. Having uh, a, a mind that is empty. The version I'm using this word futility has the idea of emptiness. Living a life without a purpose. Living a life that is worthless. So Gentiles fail to attend the true purpose of the mind, which is to receive God's revelation, which would guide them in their conduct. In other words, the, the idea of the mind here has the idea of a disposition, a moral attitude, a moral disposition. God created our minds so that we should be able to receive and comprehend God's revelation. But because of sin, because of being unregenerate, for example, these Gentiles, they then no longer use their mind for the purpose which God created it. So Paul is saying, don't live like Gentiles, don't live like people who are not saved, because they live a life that has no purpose. They are using their minds for the things that God never designed it to receive. God's this purpose for our minds was to receive God's revelation so that we may have the capacity and the ability to make moral judgments, moral decisions that glorify him. I used to work with, uh, before I joined uh, Central Africa Baptist University, I used to work for the government. And, and I had one of our workmates who was not a believer. And, and every time, like fr when Friday comes, he would, he would make a budget. He would, he, would, he would be very, very bragging about his sinful lifestyle. He would make a budget of how he would spend the weekend. And, and he would come, for example, where we'll be meeting and where we'll be having meetings and said, I've got this amount of money, uh, this amount of money I'll use it for women, this will be for drinking, and this will be in case I make, you know, I, I injure somebody, this money is to pay the police. He would really plan for his sin, how he would spend his life and time. And he said, I don't want to go back to university, I don't want to upgrade my studies, I've given myself. Five years, I don't want to marry. I don't want anyone to call me that you are, you know, this late, come back home. I want to live my life the way I want it to be lived. That's what Paul means here. Living a life without a purpose. Futility of mind. And Paul says, don't live your life that way. You have a new identity. Life apart from God and his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, 
is meaningless. You may have everything this world may offer, but life apart from Christ is meaningless. And so living out your identity requires you and I to separate ourselves from the world ways of life. And the reason why, number one, is because that life without God is empty. But secondly, in verse 18, the reason why these Gentiles live the way they do is because they've got spiritual blindness, spiritual darkness. Their minds are morally dark. Paul says this this way in verse 18, having their understanding darkened. Gentiles have chosen a lifestyle that is contrary to what God wants for them. Their reasoning process has been darkened. And the word that darkened is in the passive. In other words, it, it, it is spiritual blindness. They are no longer sensitive to morality in their reasoning. They live a life without concern for personal standards or social sanctions. Now, now I, I love stories. You know, I love stories because I'm an African, obviously. <laughs> During my teacher training, I, before I did my theological training, I did a teacher training. As orientation, the first time I've grown up as a Christian, I was saved when I was 12. And for the first time, I went to this secular college, and our principals addressing us. And, and he said these words, and that, that when, 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 I, when I was in this hall being addressed by our principal, and uh, I was shocked what he said. And after addressing many things, he said, I know you are, you are young men and young women, and, and uh, you, know, you're, you, you are at a, at a time in life when you are very active. So here where you have come at college, I know that you are very active, and therefore, in case you can't abstain sexually, we have a room where we distribute contraceptives. You can help yourself. And I'm seated, I'm, I'm saying, what is this? Is, am, am I dreaming or this is true? That this is the world we live in, where, where people are not ashamed of sin. And Paul is using this word because people are blind spiritually. They are no longer sensitive to morality. And Paul says, don't live life that way. You are now a child of God. You are indwelt by his spirit. You are supposed to be sensitive to sin. You have to make decisions that are morally right, aligning itself to the calling that God has called you. In chapter 4, this one, Paul says, actually, walk worthy of your calling. Live your life in such a way that it reflects the God you've come to believe. Your life should not contradict whom you have become. Your life should reflect the God you have become uh, a child of. And so then, but a, a, a mind that is blinded by sin. But secondly, it's not all that, the, 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 the Paul is not only describing their minds that, that, that is futile, worthless. He's not only describing the mind that has been blinded by sin. He also gives a description of these Gentiles. In verse 18, he says they are alienated from the life of God. That they live life this way, a life without purpose, fulfilling their desires, fulfilling their lusts of their minds, because they don't have the life of God in them. They are separated from the life of God. They are excluded from the life of God. Life here has the idea of existence. God is a source of life, both spiritual and physical. And those who are, never, who are not believers, 
They don't have the spiritual life in them. Paul describes this in chapter 2. They are dead in their trespasses and sins. They do not seek God. Paul says in Romans chapter 3. There is no desire for what is good. Right. And so therefore don't live life that way. And the reason why they are alienated from the life of God, the, the cause of this alienation in verse 17 is because of the ignorance in them. Lack of perception. And ignorance here in the passage that uh, we are saying is it's not really that they don't know what is right. Yeah. Ignorance is not concerning, it's concerning God's revelation and will. God has revealed himself to man. Amen. Through general revelation, through creation, and conscience. There is no one on earth who is a true atheist. Deep down in their hearts, God has revealed himself to humanity. And this ignorance is a willful rejection of God's revelation. That's what we see in Romans chapter 1. Though God has revealed himself, man suppresses that truth. Man holds down to that revelation. And willfully reject God's revelation. So their ignorance is due to the hardness of their own hearts. Even when God has revealed himself to them through general revelation, they have willfully rejected him and do not want to know him personally. And the results of their condition on such a lifestyle is the outgrowth of what we see in verse 19, their character. Their character determines their lifestyle. They do what they do because of who they are in character. Verse 19 says, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work or uncleanness with all greediness. And, and what Paul is describing in verse 19 is because of their character. And Paul simply says this words, don't live life like that. Verse 21 says, that's not how you learned Christ. Since now you are a child of God, live like one. Living out your identity requires you to, to, to separate yourself from the old ways of life. But secondly, it requires you to strip off your old identity. It requires you to strip off your old identity. Verse 22, Ephesians 2, 4, 22. It says, but, but, but you have not stolen Christ, if indeed you have heard him, and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. That you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. The idea of putting off there is the idea of laying aside. It's the idea of putting off an old garment, you know, a dirty garment you want to have, you have to put on something that is new. So because of what God through Christ has done, there are some old garments, some old habits, sinful habits that we have to continually remove from our lives as we become more and more like Christ. The old self here refers to the, the, the community identity of the fallen and the Adamic nature. Paul is simply saying, get rid of anything related to the old self. The old self here is, is, is not just, it's more than a mindset. It is basically a solidarity with Adam in his sin. Adam was our representative in the old community, but now Christ is our new representative in the new community. 
So what Paul is simply saying there, stop identifying yourself with the old man. Begin now identifying yourself with the new Adam who is Christ. In our daily activities, in our daily conduct. It is not a one-time experience. Uh, it is something that has to continually and every day, every moment of our lives, identifying ourselves with the person of Christ. And Paul says, get rid of areas in our lives, and all of us as believers, the areas in our lives, even when we are saved, that we have to continually put off. Now we need to remember that this is something we can't do in our own selves. And there are two things that we need to do as we are putting off. Number one, we need to identify areas in our lives we need to confess before God. Those areas in our lives that do not conform to the person we have become. Those things that are foreign to the, our identity with Christ. We have to confess them. 1 John chapter 1 verse 9, the Apostle John says, If we confess our sins, it's faithful. And just forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Proverbs 28 says, you know, if, if, you know, he who confesses and forsakes will obtain mercy. But it's not enough to simply confess and make things right. As we identify, as we hear God's word preached, as we are studying his word, as, as we are exposed to God's truth, and God begins to reveal areas in our lives that he wants us to confess. But also it requires us to do what is called spiritual amputation. Radical amputation. That there are some tendencies even when we are believers. Certain sins that have taken a stronghold in our lives. We need to cut those things from our, soul, our lives. Radical amputation. Jesus uses a very graphical description. In the Gospel of Matthew, it says, If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Right. Amen. Right. If your eye causes you to sin, cut it off. So, the idea of, of cutting sin from its source, because if we are still living in our old identity, we are not representing Christ. We need to remind ourselves that we have been adopted. We are now in a new family, we have now a new name, we have been forgiven. And so now we have to look like the one we have become. We have to resemble our new parent, who is Christ. And so if we're going to live out our identity in Christ, we have to strip off our old identity. But thirdly, living out our identity in Christ does not only require us to separate ourselves from the old ways of life. It does not only require us to strip off our old identity, but thirdly, we need the renewing of the Holy Spirit. That is verse 23 of Ephesians 4. It says, And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You allow the Holy Spirit to shape you and to shape your thinking. In other words, nowadays there's this new word, we need to change our worldview. We take off the old glasses and we put on the new glasses. Those old assumptions and presuppositions and how we look at life. Since now we have we have been adopted in God's family. For as Paul says to the church in Colos, we have to set our minds on the things above and not on the things that are on the earth. Right? 
We have to be, be renewed in the spirit of our mind. It is the Holy Spirit doing the renewing of our thoughts. The Holy Spirit is the agent of renewal. The Spirit is, has the dynamic power of God working in the believer, transforming the believer in the image of Christ. And how can we be renewed? The Holy Spirit of God uses the Word of God to change us and to sanctify us in the image of Christ. We see this truth in Psalms 1, 1 and 2. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. He does not stand in the path of sinners. He does not sit in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. Amen. And in his law, he meditates day and night. What makes him not to walk in the counsel of the wicked? What makes him not stand in the path of sinners, identifying himself with the old ways of life? What makes him not sit with the scornful with a permanent position? being comfortable living in sin is because of what he delights himself in. He delights himself in the law of the Lord. The psalmist says in Psalms 119 verse 9, How shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to his way. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I may not sin against you. It is God's word by the power of the Holy Spirit that can renew us. As Jesus prays in John chapter 17, 17 as he's, he's before he is crucified, a day before uh, the crucifixion, he, says, he prays for his, his disciples. Sanctify them with your word, for your word is truth. It is only God's word through the power of the Holy Spirit that can change us, that can sanctify us, that can renew our minds. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may know what is that good and perfect will of God. It is only when our minds are renewed through the Spirit, by His word, that we'll be able to know God's perfect will for our lives. So living out our identity requires us to have a renewed life, a renewed mind. And that means, as Christians, we have to be reading scriptures regularly. This means we have to be reading scripture intentionally. This means we have to be memorizing scripture, allowing God's word to live in our lives. If we're going to live out our identity in Christ, we have to separate ourselves from our old ways of life. Living out our identity in Christ requires us to strip off our old identity. Living out our identity in Christ requires us to have a renewed mind. The Holy Spirit working in our lives to renew who we are. But lastly, Paul says in verse 24, you have to put on something. It's not enough to put off. It's not enough to be renewed. But there's something you need to put on. Forces, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. The idea of putting on in this passage it is a call to live their lives in conformity with their new identity. 
the new identity here is now, since we are believers, we are now God's children. Our sins have been washed away. We have a new name, we have a new identity. We need now to intentionally live out that identity. Those old habits we had, areas in our lives that were not conforming to the image of Christ, we need to strip them and then add something new. Now, he takes that in chapter 20, verse 25, all the way up to verse 31. He's going to apply how that looks like. Maybe you were a liar before you were converted. He says, let him who was lying, stop lying, but speak truth. Right? Put off lying and now be honest. Maybe you are struggling with temper and anger. Put off that and add, be kind to one another. He who stops you no longer, but rather let him wait labor with his hands, so that he may give somebody who is in need. He says, if you have corrupt communication, you struggle with words, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but now you have to put on something. Words that have grace. Words that build others. That's the idea of putting off something. Remove that old identity. Put on something that now looks like Christ. And this amounts to a daily and a growing recognition of the truth of who we are now in Christ. This new identity is characterized with righteousness and holiness. And the whole point Paul is trying to bring across in verse 24 is this. Replace the wrong with the truth. Replace the wrong with the truth. I want to say this, brethren, that the Christian life, if you've been a Christian for a while, is not easy. Yeah. You cannot live the Christian life on your own. You need other Christians to help you in this journey. And this is why in the New Testament, especially in the Pauline epistles, I think even the Petrine and these other epistles, there are a lot of the one another passages. The one another passages acknowledges that the Christian life cannot be lived in isolation. If we are going to live out our identity in Christ, we need accountability. We need other Christians who are going to help us in this. We need other Christians to pray for us, to encourage us, to rebuke us, to exhort us. Paul said in the writer of Hebrews says, exhorting one another daily while it is called today. Lest you have a heart of unbelief by departing from the Lord. Sometimes as Christians, Christians backslide because they live the Christian life alone. They have no one to go to and say, brother or sister, I'm struggling in this area of my life. Please help me, pray for me. Someone can be asking us, brother, how are you doing in your personal devotions? How are you doing in your prayer life? We didn't see you last week, what happened? If we are going to live out our identity, we need accountability. Let me take you to the book of Ecclesiastes. Old Testament. Mm -hmm. 
Pastor Brian, the, the verse has run out of my brain. It's two are better than one. Is it chapter 9 or chapter 5? Um, two are better than one. Four nine. Four nine. Thank you so much. <laughs> it's unpardonable sin for a pastor to forget to say, let's turn to chapter and then you forget the pastor. <laughs> unpardonable sin. <laughs> chapter 4, verse 9. 9 and 10. The wisest man says these words. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if the two lie together, they keep warm. How can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. A three-fold cord is not quickly broken. And I believe that living out our identity in Christ requires every believer to find someone in their lives to hold them accountable. I believe that is what Paul may be referring to here. Putting on the new self. It is not something you can do on your own. It is not something you can do in your own strength. We need other believers to help us in this journey. So what's the main point this morning? Living out your identity in Christ requires you to separate yourself from the old ways of you are now a child of God. Live like one. And how do you do that? By stripping off your old identity. By renewing your mind through the power of the Holy Spirit as you read his word, as you memorize scripture, and God transforms you day by day in the image of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And to one day when he comes back, we shall be fully saved. Because our salvation is a process. We have been saved. We are being saved. We shall be saved. When finally Christ returns in glory, and we shall be like him. And John says, whoever has this hope purifies himself just as he is pure. And the question for us, as I close this morning, is this. Are you living daily, putting off your old lifestyle, putting on the new self? Can people around you who are not believers see a difference? Are you living in such a way that your life is pointing people to Christ? Your life as a Christian will either point others to Christ or point others away from Christ. What is your life doing? Is it attracting others to Christ or is it repelling others from Christ? And my prayer for each one of us this morning is that may God help us through his spirit, through his word, so that we may live out our identity in Christ so that our lives should be daily and moment by moment be pointing others to Christ. Amen.